I'm Alec Lace. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Welcome, everybody, to episode 414 of the podcast. I am happy, as always, to be here with you. Thank you for stopping by. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, please get over there and bang that subscribe button. You do not want to miss all the action that's coming your way right here on First Class Fatherhood. All right, dads, I got a little something different for you guys today. For the very first time on the podcast, I have a very special father-daughter edition of First Class Fatherhood. Prominent writer, scholar, and award-winning filmmaker Dinesh D'Souza joins me on the podcast today, along with his beautiful and talented daughter, Danielle D'Souza-Gill. Now, Dinesh has a new book out titled The United States of Socialism, as well as a must-see documentary, Trump Card. Both are timely pieces of just extraordinarily well-thought-out concepts that do a phenomenal job of painting the picture of the dangers of socialism and what will happen to this country if it decides to go in the direction of socialism. Dinesh is from Mumbai, India. He moved to the United States on a Rotary Scholarship. He worked in the Ronald Reagan administration as a policy analyst. His talks and debates are always intellectually stimulating. He is smart as a whip, and the apple did not fall far from the tree. His daughter, Danielle, is a Dartmouth College graduate, just like her dad. She's got a brand new book out titled The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, in which she dives right into this pro-choice, pro-life battle that is really at a tipping point now here with the current nomination of Amy Coney Barrett to the Supreme Court. Uh, So her book couldn't have come out at a better time. She is a successful young woman woman in her own right. She and her father are both first class all the way. I am extremely honored to have them on the podcast. I hope you guys enjoy this as much as I did. Dinesh D'Souza and Danielle D'Souza-Gill will be here with me in just a few minutes, so please stick around for the interview. And today's interview with Dinesh D'Souza and his daughter Danielle was recorded on video and is available for you guys to watch on my YouTube channel. So if you'd like to watch today's conversation, please get over and hit me with a subscribe on YouTube, First Class Fatherhood. The link is in the description of today's podcast episode. All right, guys, and also down there in the description of today's podcast episode, you're going to find the links to Dinesh D'Souza's book and Danielle's book, as well as the link to the documentary Trump Card. I highly recommend you check them all out. Joining me on the podcast Wednesday will be Dr. Mark Siegel, who can be seen everywhere, especially on Fox News as he talks all things coronavirus. I will be picking his brain about masks and school and everything else that parents need to know as we continue the COVID pandemic of 2020 here, and it continues to just disrupt our way of life. Don't miss out on that podcast coming on Wednesday. Friday, I'll be hitting you guys with a fresh Frogman Friday edition of the podcast here. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out which Navy SEAL will be joining me here this week. All right, and I am working on a father-son episode, so I'm going to keep you updated on the details on that. I really need your help today, guys. Please let me know what you think about today's podcast episode. I really need your feedback to decide whether I should continue to do some more father-daughter episodes. If you guys are enjoying this, you got to let me know. It was a lot of fun for me. I hope you enjoyed as much as I did. As always, guys, please help me spread the word about this podcast to every father in your neighborhood in your contact list. Let them know about the show that's here celebrating fatherhood and family life. Fatherhood rocks, family values rule, and every day is Father's Day right here with me. And I'm going to be right back with Dinesh D'Souza and his daughter, Danielle D'Souza-Gill. I'm Alec Lace, and you're listening to First Class Fatherhood. Today's episode is being brought to you by Manscaped. And dads, 2020 has been a year of things happening that are completely out of your control. But there is one thing that you can control, and that is shaving that area that made you a dad in the first place. My sponsors over at Manscaped.com are here to remind you to do so. The Manscaped Lawnmower 3.0 is a premier electric trimmer that is waterproof with advanced skin-safe technology, so you never have to worry about scratching those love spuds while you're giving yourself a smooth shave. 
The Lawnmower 3.0 is included in the Perfect Package 3.0, and for a limited time, when you order the Perfect Package kit, you're going to get two free gifts, the Shed Travel Bag and the Manscaped Anti-Chafing Boxer Briefs. And let me tell you something right now, guys. The Anti-Chafing Cooling Boxer Briefs are the best pair of drawers I've ever put on. So what are you waiting for? Visit Manscaped.com. Use my promo code FATHER. You're going to save 20% off your order plus free shipping. That's 20% off your order plus get free shipping at Manscaped.com. Use the promo code FATHER and get rid of those short hairs in your short pants today. Joining me now, First Class Father, Dinesh D'Souza, along with his daughter, Danielle D'Souza-Gill. Welcome to First Class Fatherhood. Thank you very much. Looking forward to it. Thanks for having me. All right. Let's start it just like this here. Um, If you could, Danielle, please just take a second here to hit my listeners with a little bit about your background and what you do. Yeah, so I'm an author of a new book called The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, where I debunk the left's most popular pro-choice arguments. And um, I'm 25. I graduated from Dartmouth. And I'm also part of Women for Trump on the Trump campaign. And my first book was called Why God? An Intelligent Discussion on the Relevance of Faith. Good stuff. And how about yourself, Dinesh? Boy, I've been um, an author and a scholar and a speaker and a filmmaker for um, a while now. I've written 17 books. I'm an immigrant from India. I came to America at the age of 17. I, too, went to Dartmouth, so Danielle follows in my footsteps, so to speak. Um, And um, I started making documentary films about eight years ago. I've made five of them. Uh, The newest one is called Trump Card. It's really based on my book called United States of Socialism. So um, Danielle and I are kind of in the same line of work, you might say, um, but I've been at it a little bit longer. (laughs) Yeah, I would imagine. And at that, about how old were you then, Dinesh, when you first became a dad? And how did becoming a father change your perspective on life? I became a dad. I I was um, 34 years old. Uh, Danielle was born in 1995. And um, I had, um, you know, I had uh, worked in the White House by then. I was a fellow at a think tank called the American Enterprise Institute. Um, and, uh, you know, they say that, that marriage changes your life. But I find that fatherhood is the real um, uh, life changer. And um, it's kind of funny because I, I didn't know, know what it would be like to have a daughter. Uh, but it's been a glorious experience um, and very meaningful uh, for me. And um, I couldn't be happier that I am Danielle's dad. Yeah, very well said. Danielle, what would you say were some of the top values that your father instilled in you growing up? Well, um, I dedicated my book to him for teaching me the most important things in life, which I think are a lot of things. Um, Probably, though, to always keep trying even when things are difficult and not to give up um and also probably to just focus on you know what are your values and what are your principles and to live out those principles yeah very well said and and Dinesh now she's right here so you can't try to uh get around this here but what type of disciplinarian were you as a dad with her growing up and is that different than the discipline style that you grew up with yourself uh yeah I think it is um my um my parents were uh, quite strict. I grew up in India, kind of in the old school. Uh, my dad was a big uh, kind of because I said so guy. Now, I shouldn't imply that this was a, a bad experience because I always thought that my dad was um, 
a very good and wise man. And so I trusted his authority. Um, and half the time when he said, because I said so, he would kind of give me a wink as if to say, you know, I know the reason, but I'm not really going to tell it to you. So I had a very good relationship with my dad. But I did also develop the idea then that as a parent, I would be a little bit more forthcoming and trying to say why I was giving the sort of instructions and orders that I was. Now, Danielle was a very easy kid, um, and it's not because of our brilliant parenting. It's basically she was naturally uh, a very sweet child, um, very willing to uh, follow reasonable authority. She'd only rebel when she felt something was being asked of her that was ridiculous. So she was not a difficult child at all. Um, and uh, in that sense, our parenting job was extremely easy. You can concur with all that, Danielle? Well, I think we had a few debates. I like to say that I kept trying to poke his brain and debate him on all the topics, but I did not come out the winner, so that's how I became a conservative. <laughs> yeah, and, and on that, you know, I have four children myself. My oldest is in high school now. Obviously, college is around the corner for us. And one of the concerns I have, like many parents, is I, I drive Uber on the weekends, and I drive a lot of college kids around. And it is frightening to listen to the dialogue that's coming out, they're coming away from these schools with. So... I know for many concerns, is especially as a conservative going into college where it's overwhelmingly liberal, what was your experience like going to college as a conservative? And did those values that you spoke about earlier that your father instilled in you, did they hold up through your college experience? Yeah, I think that, you know, before going to college, I knew some conservatives, some parents would ask me um, often kind of, you know, how do I make sure that my uh, my kid kind of adheres to um these principles as well. And I would say to them that, you know, you can't really force it, first of all, but I think that the best thing that you can do is kind of by uh, living according to that and being able to talk to them about it when they want to talk about it. Because I think sometimes what's hard is when um, kids, you know, want to look to their parents, but then their parent is um, maybe not really knowing exactly why they believe those things. And then it kind of can be hard to have a discussion. But I think that um, you know, when I went to Dartmouth, it was very far leftist place. It was, you know, definitely not championing the values that I believe in in really any respect, except perhaps um, the library and <laughs> books and uh, some good things. But for the most part, I would say not not good things. Um, so I think that probably the best um, thing was that I think I was pretty strong in my values already. So when I went there, I wasn't looking to you know, be transformed by the place that I was going in the sense of, you know, what they were putting on me. And I know that there are other conservatives who I think maybe grow up a bit more sheltered and then they show up on campus and are like, oh my gosh, I've never heard of these ideas. I'm shocked and all this. But I had really heard of a lot of that because I had been exposed to kind of the the enemy, so to speak, in terms of these other values. And so I think it's, it's, um, it's a good thing to do if, if you're ready for that. But I think if that's something you're not ready for, then maybe uh, avoid avoid those places and maybe avoid them for other reasons, too. But um, I would say just kind of if you know your child and you know that uh, that's not something that would be good for them, then I would say don't don't send them there, because I did see a lot of people who at the beginning of college seemed kind of you know grounded and then left um, in a much worse place as very different people. And um, so I'm glad that, you know, for me, it was the opposite. I feel like I became stronger in my values, but that's not the case for everyone. Yeah, good stuff. And, and Dinesh, I, I would say on that, I mean, that's got to be uh, shocking to some of these parents that drop a quarter million dollars on an education. And now all of a sudden their kid comes out hating America and has all these crazy uh, ideas. 
in your in your opinion, you know, is college necessary for kids to succeed in today's world? Well, one of the things we're discovering uh, to our dismay is that many of these institutions that we sort of grew up with have become rotted uh, from within. Uh, this is true, I think, of the media. It's true of um, even some of the police agencies of government that we had generally a high degree of trust in. My idea of the FBI came from the movie The Untouchables. That's not the real FBI. Uh, similarly with the universities. Now, the universities were bad. When I was a student a generation ago, the tilt was very markedly left. The administration was intolerant, but it wasn't that bad. Uh, there was still genuine debate. There were at least a sprinkling of conservative professors on the campus. I think what's changed is that the intolerance has gone um, to a completely different decibel level. And many students are just unfamiliar with the arguments on the other side. I notice this when I speak on campus, for example. So so I'm, I don't have the same uh, attachment to these institutions that I did. If someone had told me 10 years ago, you know, would it be a good thing if the Ivy League were to go away? I would have been shocked at the very idea that they would suggest it. But now I think it actually might be a good thing for America. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, too, a lot of parents are paying these big ticket prices and the kids are home doing the school on the computer and they're not even on the campus and they're still paying the same price, which is crazy. Um, and, and, and turning it over here to, uh, to your book, a timely book now, Danielle, uh, obviously uh, right now, one of the hottest topics is about uh, Amy Coney Barrett getting appointed to the Supreme Court, her nomination. Uh, many people are concerned about abortion as a part of that nomination. Uh, your book, The Choice, The Abortion Divide in America, what is it about? Why did you decide to write it? Um, well, I moved to New York after I graduated from college, and I saw Governor Cuomo light up the Freedom Tower pink to celebrate nine-month abortions uh, without a medical reason. He said he hopes that the rest of the nation follows this. And, you know, we've seen Governor Ralph Northam, Democrat of Virginia, talk about how even after a baby is born, it can be kept comfortable. Then a discussion will ensue as to its fate. Um, so I think I just saw how radical uh, the Democrats had become on this issue and how I didn't feel like everyone on the other side was really united behind the pro-life pro issue. Um, there are definitely some who feel like, oh, you know, um, maybe I'm, I'm more conservative, but I don't know if I'm pro-life. And so I wanted to reach those people to convince them that this is actually one of the most important issues of our time. And also there are many people who are who are not decided on this and I think just don't know about a lot of the facts here because um, the other side doesn't want women to see their ultrasounds. They don't actually want people to know what's happening in the womb or, you know, hear the heartbeat or any of those things because they know that when people hear that or see that, they then realize that it is a person. Yeah, and I'm going to follow up with you in a second on that, too, with Dinesh. A great plug in the movie for the book, too, by the way, in the Trump card. And the Trump card is available now. I saw it the day that you released it. I thought you did a great job with that, Dinesh. I love the way you tied in the threat of 1984 and the whole bit. Um, I know right now one of the big things that's going on is we've seen from the New York Post article, we've seen this censorship that's been coming heavily uh, against the conservative views. Did you have any what, what's the response been from the Trump card since it's been out there? And have you had any dealings with any censorship putting it out there? Well, all these themes of uh, Biden corruption, um, uh, censorship, the media, uh, abortion, uh, they're all in the movie and they're all under the banner of socialism. Now, it may seem odd because for Marx, social, socialism was really about economics. It was about the rich and the poor, a class divide. 
But interestingly, the typical socialist today cares more about abortion than the minimum wage. They care more about uh, transgender bathrooms and they care about universal basic income. So socialism isn't just an economic phenomenon. It's kind of a cultural phenomenon and a moral phenomenon. Now, with the movie Trump card, we've run into all kinds of obstacles and uh, we've had we had difficulty getting um, major studios to distribute this movie while they've distributed all my earlier movies. Right now, we're trying to get the movie up on Amazon Prime. Um, it's up on Google. It's up on iTunes. It's up on YouTube, Fandango. It's up on a bunch of platforms, but Amazon Prime is an important one. But of course, Amazon is just claiming that there are some glitches and we're working on it, but they've been working on it and we're getting closer to the election. I bet you on election day, it'll be right up there. So this, these are all the sort of ways in which corporate media uh, and corporate retailers like Amazon, uh, which shouldn't be playing favorites with regard to products. We have tens of thousands of orders for our DVD with Amazon. There's been a delay in shipping. So, again, you know, this is all just very troubling about how our culture has developed um, these biases, uh, even when you're just trying to put out your point of view. The, the right to speak freely is no longer safe in America. Yeah, well said. And, and I, I saw it on one of the ones you didn't even mention there, Voodoo, I think it was called, that I saw it on because I have, had, was having trouble that day getting it on the other sources. So I was able to get it through there. Um, and Danielle, one of the things I'm curious about is the response that you've gotten from men towards this book and, and, and in your dealings, because I mean, I may be a little naive in the subject. I mean, my wife and I, we've, we've went through several miscarriages and, and they're very disheartening because not only do we know she's carrying a child, we already start to imagine our life with that child. We see the room, we start thinking of names, we go through this whole prospect and then the pregnancy ends and it, we're left with all those things are just wiped away. And it's really a devastating experience to go through. And in order for this to happen, there has to be two consenting adults to make the pregnancy. But the woman has the right to just terminate that pregnancy without the man's consent. And that's where I think like um, it kind of just makes it seem as if he's irrelevant now. And, and I think that this has to have an effect on men as well. So what kind of response have you gotten from men when you've been doing your research and feedback from the book? Yeah, I have a chapter on that on the men's side of it. And I call it It Takes Two to Tango because I think that, you know, the child is, of course, you know, needs two parents in order to create that child, the mother and the father. And so I think when fathers are really pushed out of uh, the family, when they're pushed out of these decisions, it's it's really actually a bad situation because in many ways the left acts like, you know, men have to be vulnerable, they have to share their feelings and all these things, but the reality is that what really breaks their hearts the most is losing a child and feeling like they had no say in it. And when it comes to abortion, a lot of them feel a sense of PTSD, of feeling like, oh, you know, there was nothing I could do, I felt helpless in the situation, um, I would have wanted to stop it, but there, were, there was no way I could have stopped it. And um, I look at this one man, he's called, his name is Brad Allen, and he talks about how when his um, partner aborted their child, he couldn't get any kind of proof of this. He couldn't get a birth certificate or a death certificate or any of that. And that, I think, is a big part of people healing, especially um, maybe even from something like a miscarriage. You have to have some closure from that situation. And so he actually went on this journey to basically get his child's death certificate um, signed by the abortionist. And when he did, he felt like, you know, at least there was some acknowledgement that his child existed and, you know, was killed because that allowed him to move on mentally. And so I think that actually there are a lot of men who struggle with this for many years because there is no attention paid to um, kind of the closure and the feelings involved in that. And of course, you know, this child is of course better off.
arms of their mother, father, you know, grandparent, adopted parents, um, than in the arms of the abortionists. So, um, but I think that actually removing fathers is one of the main goals of the left because they know that when fathers are involved in the home and when there are two parents, uh, children are much more likely to be better off and be independent and also not be dependent on the government. Yeah, and it's one of the major things that I talk about on my podcast. I talk about it all the time is the fatherless crisis, in my opinion, is the number one social issue that we have in our country. And, you know, nowhere is this more uh, prominent than in the African-American community. And Dinesh, I mean, I spoke to Michael Irvin at the Super Bowl earlier this year about this. He was talking about how it's 73 percent of African-Americans growing up without a father in the home. And it's having devastating results on our society here. So why is the nuclear family unit breaking down in this country? Why is it affecting the African-American community more than any other community? And how do we get it fixed? Why is First Class Fatherhood climbing to the top of the podcasting charts? Listen to what dads like UFC President Dana White, legendary New York City radio host Greg T, and Navy SEAL David Rutherford have to say about the podcast. What a cool podcast. It's one of the coolest ones I've ever did. And congrats, seriously, I mean it. What a cool podcast concept, and uh, I, I love it. Good for you, man. Continued success. Dude, I love this podcast, man. Your questions are phenomenal, bro. Phenomenal. I am really happy, and I can tell you honestly, I'm proud to be a part of it. Thanks for having me on. Thank you, Alec, and, and God bless you and what you're doing. Keep it up. Uh, I think the uh, compiling this many fathers and this much great information is going to be uh, invaluable in so many ways. So I, I wish you all the best, brother. So let's go, dads. We are not babysitters. We are fathers, and we're not just fathers. We are first-class fathers. Subscribe to First Class Fatherhood today. And it's having devastating results on our society here. So like, why is the nuclear family unit breaking down in this country? Why is it affecting the African-American community more than any other community? And how do we get it fixed? Wow. Uh, one could do a book on that topic. But uh, let me say just a couple things. One is, isn't it ironic that groups like Black Lives Matter, if you look at their manifesto, it's kind of a Marxist manifesto, but right up there, let's get rid of the patriarchal nuclear family. Wow, 70% of black kids don't have a father. Many of them are attracted, the boys are attracted to gangs because the gangs form a kind of surrogate family that they can belong to. Of course, it puts their life at risk and so on. Uh, so it's a very dysfunctional situation. Um, and uh, yet, here's Black Lives Matter, in the name of Black Lives Matter, trying to overthrow the institution that really the black community needs the most. Um, in 1965, uh, Daniel Patrick Moynihan, uh, later a senator from New York, uh, wrote a report on the Negro family, as he called it, and pointed out that the illegitimacy rate for blacks was about 25%. Uh, at that time, for whites, it was only about 5%. And he called this a national crisis. Of course, what's happened now is that the illegitimacy rate for whites is 25 percent, a little higher than that. Uh, and the illegitimacy rate for blacks has sort of skyrocketed. So we are clearly facing a crisis of fatherhood and of the family. Um, and um, and I think it's the causes of it run deep. But a lot of it, I think, has to do with the fact that there's a certain kind of um, um, individualism uh, that causes people to sort of turn their ideas of self-expression uh, against the idea of the family. 
Um, for the founders, it wasn't like that. For the founders, we thrive as individuals when we are also fathers um, and we live in communities. So there's all kinds of belonging. But today there's an idea in our culture that the way to be an individual is to turn against other forms of belonging. And so people literally see divorce as a form of liberation. Yeah, and I, I hear that quite a bit. Like I said, when I drive Uber and I tell people I have four kids, they look at me like I got four heads. Like these young guys think of fatherhood as something to avoid, not something to embrace. And it's very disheartening. And, and Danielle, did you find in your research, I mean, uh, with the abortions, I know that the statistics are high uh, for, for girls that grow up without a father in their home and getting pregnant. Are you seeing that as uh, does that affect the abortion rate or more uh, of the abortions happening from girls who grew up without having a father in the home? Well, I think, unfortunately, what the left has basically done is remove parents from um, a, a daughter's choice in getting an abortion. So we know that there are laws that say they don't have to tell the parent if, uh, you know, that's something that she's doing. So a lot of them actually have no idea what's even happening. But I think that this um, marketing from the left is basically this is a decision you make in your head. And if you do consult anyone, it's going to be the abortionist or a person working at Planned Parenthood. It's not going to be any of these other people in your life who might have thoughts on this or be able to help you in some way. So um, I think actually it's it's the removal of um, really fathers and mothers from the, uh, the whole narrative in terms of how they want women to even think about this issue. Because oftentimes, actually, grandparents are very interested in, um, you know, being part of this child's life. And so I think that it's very sad that they don't want them to be consulted. Yeah, one of the sad things, Danielle, like you mentioned there, the, the uh, Freedom Tower being lit up pink in celebration. I'm right here. I've seen that as well. And I couldn't. One of the things that's hard for me to understand is the celebrational spirit of the left side when it comes to abortion, as if there's somehow this is a good thing. I mean, th just this year, we're closing in on 700,000 abortions in the U.S. So this isn't some type of minor problem here. And uh, it, it just seems like it, it goes against everything that we're talking about here with family values and stuff like that. And Dinesh, obviously we're here. We're on the board. The election is right here. Uh, I know before Trump got elected, everyone had these fears. Oh, my God, if he gets in, uh, he's got the nuclear codes. The world's going to explode and all this stuff. And we've seen that that never came to fruition. Right now, the scare is if Biden is to get in, we won't recognize America anymore. Uh, so what do you see? What happens to this country if Biden goes down as the next president here? Well, I've always tried to avoid the sort of apocalypticism that says the country will uh, be unrecognizable, it will disappear, and so on. Um, in some ways, I think that some of the street uh, violence that we've been seeing over the last uh, several weeks and even months uh, might subside if Biden is elected, because, of course, their guy is now in the White House. So there's simply no reason to be agitating from the outside. There'll be the hope that many of these radicals can kind of now be on the inside. Um, and uh, but I think the, the bad news, I think, is that the United States is based upon the idea of uh, economic prosperity, ladders of opportunity, social mobility, uh, and also the civil liberties, being able to write the script of your own life. Those are the things I most appreciated about America when I first came as a teenager. Uh, and I think those things will become gradually suppressed.
We're already seeing it. We don't have to wait for a Biden presidency to lose our free speech rights. Today, if you speak out um, and you in a corporation, you have a good chance of being called in and subject to re-education or even being fired. And this is not just true if you're in academia or Hollywood or the media. It's true if you work for Google. It's true if you work for General Motors. So there's a kind of chill wind in the air. And um, and I think Trump is the antidote to that. He's fighting against it. He's the most politically incorrect man in America. Uh, and so the advantage of Trump is he's clearing the air. We'll uh, look at the deep state. I mean, we would never have known about all these shenanigans, including the Biden family shenanigans, had Hillary been elected. But we know about them now. And unfortunately, I think the deep state will be back in business if if Trump if Trump loses. So there's a lot at stake in the election. I don't want to minimize it. Uh, on the other hand, America's come a long way since 1776, um, and I think, I dare say, we could even survive a Biden presidency. But I'm going to do my best to make sure that does not happen. Yeah, well said. And, Danielle, one more thing on, on the abortions. And you're, in your research for this book and in, and in your writing it, uh, I'm a faith-based person myself. My family, I, I keep God first in my life. My family, we sit around the dinner table every day and we pray together as a family. I think it's so important. Are you finding it more that people that are faith-based are less likely to have abortions? I mean, I know we see that the, the, the pro-life largely is a, a Catholic or Christian movement. Are you finding it just about the same between the secular and the faith-based uh, families? I think the statistics show us they're about the same. But again, I don't know how exactly people are identifying themselves in these polls. A lot of people kind of say they're they're Christian. I don't know if they are and, and so on. So I don't want to say that I, I, I could really say. But I think one thing that's really disturbing is the fact that so many churches don't talk about uh, pro-life. They are afraid to, you know, talk about it because they think, oh, this might be political and, and so on. But it is a moral issue. And we're talking about innocent babies being killed. And so I think that one of the worst things is the fact that many pastors are uh, very much um, silencing themselves when it comes to talking about issues of life. And so we actually could have many people who go to church on Sunday, many people who um, are Christian in that sense, um, walk away feeling like, wow, I am pro-life. But I think that we do not actually get the message out to those people. Those people have to get the message from, you know, maybe um, media or, or this podcast because their pastor isn't going to tell them about it. And I think that that is um, really, really sad because they, they should be talking about it. So I think we could definitely have more Christians as, as pro-lifers. But I think all people can be pro-life because... Because we are talking about an issue of our conscience and an issue of killing, which um, I think most people should be against. But I think the Christians have to really lead on the forefront on this because I don't know how we can be silent on this issue. Yeah, I, I agree. And, and the topic excel, itself is very uh, explosive sometimes. It can create a lot of uh, controversy inside of a family itself. And it all starts with this, Dinesh. Now, my youngest is my only girl. She's six now, right, out of the four. She's, And I'm already dreading. Uh, the time to come where she's going to start hitting that dating scene. Now, you've obviously already been there. Uh, Danielle is married. So how did you kind of handle it? Or what kind of advice did you give her when it came time for her to start hitting that dating scene? You know, I uh, I don't remember if um, Danielle and I had uh, in-depth conversations. I, I think I would be a little bit uh, shy about um, uh, diving explicitly into this topic. I'll, I'll, I'm going to let Danielle speak to this a little bit. But uh, 
But I think, again, I, I was um, always at ease as a parent, the sort of terrible teens that parents are taught to beware. Um, I was a little bit nervous about, but my worst fears were in no way realized. Um, Danielle has, uh, even as a teenager, had a very good head on her shoulders. And I think she always realized that the most important thing is to find somebody of good character. She was never a sort of someone to like go for the bad boys or any of that sort of thing. I didn't have to sort of give her warnings about the type of person to avoid because she actually knew what she wanted. She knew probably better than I could possibly advise her. Uh, and so she was um, very careful in her dating decisions and I think uh, acted very responsibly, which allowed me uh, to sort of step back and, and essentially not not be directly involved. D Danielle, what could you, how could you help me out here? Right? How, how should I approach this as my only girl growing up? Hopefully, you know, my, my three boys could be my bodyguards there and all that. But what's the best way for me to handle this when my daughter gets old enough to hit the scene? Yeah, so um, I actually got married fairly young. I got married at 22, and I'm 25. So um, I met my my husband now when I was 18. Um, so yeah, it is kind of crazy to think that you know we were friends for a long time. We we're actually friends for a couple years before we started dating. Um, and when we first met, um, he was kind of interested, but I actually wasn't interested in dating anyone when I got to college. I just wanted to kind of make friends and focus on school. And then, you know, a few years later we, we dated, but I think that, um, honestly, probably just kind of laying out this idea that, you know, you're a valuable person. I think that I always had a lot of confidence in knowing that, um, whoever the, the, the best guy is out there, who's, you know, the most God fearing and the most, all of this, like, that is the person that I deserve. And I think that some girls, unfortunately, have very low self-esteem and think that, oh, you know, no one's going to like me. No one's going to think any of this of me. And those are the girls who unfortunately say, okay, I'm going to kind of, you know, settle for someone who's not a good person and that kind of thing. So I think the confidence aspect helps a lot. Um, I've definitely known a lot of girls who struggle with that. And it's very hard to get through to them because, um, they just don't have that inner sense of, you know, I get my confidence from God. I get my confidence from knowing that he has a plan and those kinds of things. So I think it really has to be rooted in, um, you know, what the Lord teaches us and also being okay with not ever being with anyone. I think that was something that I decided in high school, which is that if I do not meet the right person or that's not God's plan, then I am never going to be with anyone and I'm cool being alone and doing, you know, things for God and kind of being a missionary for the Lord. But I think that if you're kind of like, I have to be with someone, then the mindset can sometimes get twisted into just kind of, you know, going for whoever, whoever is there, whichever guy is not the greatest, but maybe compliments you a lot or something. So I would just <laughs> try to you know, root them in God as much as you can. I think that's probably the best thing because that will, you know, stay with her forever. And then um, hopefully she can have that confidence. Yeah, I'm going to brace for impact and thank God right now that I have time to wait until uh, I'm down that street. But uh, <laughs> last, thing, last thing I'm going to ask you, Danielle, here is what kind of advice do you have um, for, the, for the dad out there or for the parents out there who find themselves in this situation where they are pregnant and they're on this fence about they have this choice to make. Um, if if they're against abortion, if they don't know where to turn, what advice do you have for the couple right now that's out there struggling with this type of decision? 
Yeah, I mean, I would say um, definitely pray about it and definitely talk to family. I know not everybody has family, so sometimes that's not an option. But um, I would say that if you have decided that you guys are definitely not going to keep this child, then adoption is absolutely a great option because um, there are people out there who know they want this child. They will raise it. They will love it. They're on a wait on waiting lists. You can oftentimes handpick the family that's you know going to raise the child and you can also make it a closed adoption so they won't know anything about this it'll be anonymous and you can go on with your life and and so on so um, I think sometimes adoption can be scary to people because they think oh my gosh I have this kid running around and they're not going to know me and stuff but um, no there are many that are closed adoptions they're anonymous and so on um, so yeah I think that really thinking about the child and what's the best for them and how you can give them a better life is probably the most sacrificial thing that you could do. Um, but if you are going to raise the child, I would say there are a lot of resources out there, crisis pregnancy centers, people who can help set you up with, you know, daycare and all kinds of things, even job applications, um, help with your neonatal stuff, all of that. So definitely, you know, Google it, do some research. Um, there are some great organizations that can help with that too. But um, and also maybe getting involved in a church or something like that, because um, having friends and having kind of a support system in terms of your own um, you know, health in that and just spiritually, I think, would really help a lot. Um, so that would be my advice if you're you're in that situation. And also, no matter uh, how scary it is, just know that uh, that um, that's how everyone feels who's in that situation, even if you're, you know, 20 or 40 or wherever it's definitely very scary and it will get better yeah very well said and Dinesh the last thing I'm going to hit you with here I love to ask all the dads that I get on the podcast what type of advice do you have for that new dad or for that about to be father who's out there listening well I guess my advice is that um, a child is a very precious um, thing in the world and it's a it is an, not only an awesome responsibility but it's an awesome uh, roller coaster ride and it's a it's a wonderful experience to be a dad and it taps into all kinds of feelings and emotions that no other experience can be compared to. So it actually brings out a side of you uh, that um, would otherwise not come out if you never became a dad. Um, and so um, there's also a kind of, I think, a wonderful sense in which every individual is their own person. It's more like watching an acorn develop. And so your job is not so much to control your child's life, but just to sort of guide and preside over it, uh, try to be a good example. Um, a lot of the things that Danielle, I think, picked up from me, uh, I wasn't, quote, teaching her. She be developed a love of learning early on. Um, and I think it's just because she grew up in a home with a lot of books and her dad was always reading. And she went, wow, it's really interesting to learn new stuff. And so it was more of that kind of natural, organic process rather than some kind of formal uh, plan of education. It really shows why parenting is the primary form of education, even more so than the school and the, and the university. Yeah, yeah, very well said. This has been a big honor for me. I got to say, Dinesh D'Souza, you're a first-class father all the way. Uh, Danielle, you're a first-class daughter all the way. And thank you guys so much for giving me a few minutes of your time here on First Class Fatherhood. We really appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks for having us.
Back to wrap things up here on First Class Fatherhood. I got to give a special thank you once again to Dinesh D'Souza and his daughter, Danielle, for giving me a few minutes of their time here. That was such an honor. Please hit me up on Twitter, guys, or drop me a DM on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace. I really need your help. Let me know what you thought about today's podcast episode. I always love to read your feedback. Wednesday on the podcast here, I'm going to be joined by Dr. Mark Siegel. He is always talking all things coronavirus. He's got a brand new book out about COVID-19. It's going to be a lot of fun to pick his brain. Very informational for all you parents out there. Do not miss out on that. Friday, I'm going to have a fresh Frogman Friday edition. Follow me on Instagram at Alec underscore Lace to find out which Navy SEAL will be joining me here this week. That's all I got for you guys today. I'm Alec Lace. Thank you for listening to First Class Fatherhood. And please remember, guys, we are not babysitters. We are fathers. And we're not just fathers. We are first class fathers. Your half-truths and tales As tall as a tree's Have a soft feeling